I'll show you a couple of videos, folks. We'll start again and resume. We'll, um, we'll finish talking about the pests, and we'll finish talking about organic management of disease and pests, uh, or natural ways of, of handling disease and pests. And we'll switch to uh, things like pollination, pollinization contracts, and how you arrange for those. We'll switch how to uh, place your bees for honey production. And then the last subject we'll be talking at around 4 o'clock will be uh, spiritual lessons that we can learn from the social life of bees. So that's the plan for the afternoon. So let's, I'll show you a couple of videos to start with. And this is one of them. This is the video where you can see varroa mite. And that's why I want... I saw a varroa mite and I forgot... Oh, here's an example of varroa infestation, right here. Ah, oh, let me return it a couple of frames back. I can't stop it fast enough. Now, this is a healthy bee. This is a bee that, that, it, that was uh, eaten by varroa mite. And it didn't happen when the bee was born. It happened while the bee was developing in a, in a cocoon in a larva stage. So it still is born, it's not dead, but it's handicapped. It cannot fly. So it's basically walking in a hive. It still can do some jobs in a hive, like build, making wax and all that. It's not completely used. Just like in our society, sometimes you have handicapped people doing jobs, you know. So it still can do, but many of them die. Now, an example, this is an example of, of, uh, of a really, really uh, extreme damage that the varroa can do, okay? It... Um, uh, right here, this same video, I have another bee that you can actually see a mite riding on the back. Can you detect a mite riding on this bee? Yes. Yes. R right here, you see that red little tiny guy? It's the size of a poppy seed, and it, it lodges somewhere in a tight spot and, and, and just sucks on the limb for bee. And that's the varroa mite that, that will basically weaken the health of this bee. Yes. Health. Uh, Varroa infestation? Oh. Um, if not managed properly, the bees will get sick within a year or two if you, if you don't check and find uh, you know, ways of managing the disease. Varroa mites uh, are transferred from bee to bee through plants. You know, a bee that is infested. Varroa mite came from, from southern Asia eventually, you know, traveled all the way to Europe, and I think in the 70s it showed up in America. And it spreads quickly, you know, the fastest growing population of any kind is insects. So, and small insects grow really, really fast. And that's what happened with varroa mite. It exploded and people didn't know about it since they don't know that it exists. They don't, don't try to manage and control it. So eventually, colonies started dying and, and Beekeepers asked questions, and scientists went in and said, oh, it's this, uh, it, uh, the full name is Varroa Jacobsoni. Jacobsoni is the name of the guy who described and, and, and wrote about it, successfully uh, found ways of treating it. So this particular mite respond, or, or you can retard its development but by chemicals or natural herbal methods. So um, I already mentioned a few methods and a few management techniques that you won't have to use chemicals. And they work really well with, with Varroa. There's a question there, young lady. Go. 
Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you forgot it? Okay, well, you can ask. Okay, sorry about that. A way that the bees deal with disease and infestation or, or fungal infection or any kind of inf uh, other infection sometimes is, uh, the, the fancy word is absconding. They, they basically leave the old house. They say, this house is too infected, too infested. We are going for a new ho home. Now, what happens? Most of the developing varroa and most of the eggs of varroa is where? Inside the brood, right? Very few are outside. So there's probably 40, 40 varroa mites on, on, the, on top of the bees running around, but there's hundreds, maybe thousands, are kept there, the eggs, little eggs they are developing. So when the colony senses there's way too many varroa developing in our brood, they abandon brood. They say, forget it, let them die together with all the mites. We'll start afresh, a new colony somewhere else. And that's what they do. So that's uh, the danger of varroa. Another danger, you lose, you have very few young bees being born because, and if they are born, they are handicapped, they cannot work. So, here's, so you, saw, you saw both. You saw the damaged wings, right? And you see the rider. So let's just, uh, just uh, I'll show you a couple more videos of bees being, there's another wingless bee somewhere there. And there's the uh, varroa rider mite right there. See, he's pretty large. You can, you can see that, that mite even without, without. And there's the queen right there. So let's quit this. I'll show you a couple more videos to start with. Um, here's, um, here's a video. Uh, let me show you another slide of uh, wingless bee. This is another wingless bee, you see? Uh, the result of varroa infestation. And um, it still can do some task in a hive, but it cannot fly anymore. And if you see bees walking in front of your hive, that's a sign that it's way overdue for some kind of varroa management because it's like almost way too late. The bees are about to leave the hive and find a new place. <laughs> yes? Are there any problems with tracheal mites anymore? Not around where I live. In East Te Texas, in Louisiana, there's more, more problems with tracheal mites. Because, yeah, because tracheal mite is very small mite. It's uh, also a, a pest, and it lives in, in, um, in trachea of the bee. And, the, and um, it prefers moist environment, like high humidity environment, like East Texas is, or Louisiana, or, you know, or Mississippi. And um, there's a few things, natural things, like menthol, or, or vapors of mint, or tea, that you can spray on, on the bees, and, and it will um, uh, retard the development of uh, this uh, mite. So that's, a, that's another. It's called tracheal mite. <coughs> yes. And um, um, we have, let me, let me move you to another spot here. Um, I show you this video for a moment. Um, Here we go. I'll show you uh, just for entertainment. And so you see the queen at work. I uh, want you to watch this queen. Do you see this queen right there? Yeah. It's poking their head and sticking it in the cells. It's looking for the clear, clean, polished cell to lay an egg. 
see the attendants out walking with it, basically protecting her. They will take, they feed her every 10, 15 minutes. They'll feed her and, you know, groom her. She's laying an egg right now, you see? She's laying an egg. She'll move. And some queens are shy. They will not lay an egg in your presence. Some are not as shy. This queen is not shy at all. You see, she's out in the sunshine and I'm watching her. She found an egg, a cell that's polished. She stuck her abdomen in, laid an egg and keeps moving. And she lays about 1,500 or 2,000 every day, just like that. <laughs> that's her job. And, and she's good at that. She's, she's really good at that. She was designed to do that. Now, here's an, an interesting video I want the, the kids to see and tell me what they think the bee is doing. Um, this one right here. Um, no, not this one. But that's an example of uh, wild mustard blossoming. So it's, it's pretty and it produces good honey. It's probably the previous one. Let me see. I didn't name it. I should have. Nope, that's bees and mustard too. There should be, let me see, maybe I renamed it. Uh, ah, here it is, foraging on blackberry. Um, blackberries blossom everywhere in Northern California. They're, they're pretty, pretty blossoms. And you may notice the bees on them. There, there will be some close-up photos in a moment, uh, I guess shots in a moment, and you see the bee landing and then flying around in the air just, just, just hovering like this. Uh, if you'll see it, uh, see it in a minute here. There we go, somewhere here. Now watch that bee. It's getting some nectar, it's getting some pollen. It, Right now it's getting nectar. You see, it's sticking its proboscis or its tongue deep in the flower where nectar is, and it's extracting that nectar. In the process, it's walking on all these uh, pollen-laden um, structure of the flower, and it gets all covered in pollen. Now watch, watch these guys hunting for nectar at the bottom of the flower. In the process, they get dusted with the pollen, and then they fly around, sort of hover around. Watch that bee. It's sort of hovering. Look, look what she's doing. She's grooming herself, collecting all the pollen from her body, passing down to, to the next set of legs. And then she's, she's putting them as mixing with nectar and putting them on, the, on, on her knee as, as the way of transporting it back to the hive. And um, with, with most of the bees, um, it's a thing that they do just for the daily food, but the honeybees store this stuff for the winter, and that's the difference with the honeybee. So back to the pests. As we go through, um, we already talked about varroa mites. There's another very, very uh, pesky pest in, in climates that are moist and humid climates. It's called hive beetle. Hive beetle is, belongs to the family, same family as, uh, <laughs> as a pretty, pretty bug that we call ladybug. It's a beetle. It, it's probably half the size of a ladybug, and it's all dark brown, and it, it, it enjoys eating larvae, eating honey, 
eating wax, eating bee pollen. And in humid climates, they develop into a larva in a hive. The queen will lay some eggs. They will develop into a larva in a hive. And then the larva will crawl out of your hive and jump off the front board of the hive in the, in the soil, in the, on the ground, right in front of your hive. And then it will burrow in the soil and pupate there, turn into a pupa and emerge from the soil as a fully developed beetle. That's what they do. Now, the reason they do so well or develop so fast, these hive beetles, in humid climates because the soil is moist. And they can dig through the soil and, and develop there. And it's warm and moist and, and beautiful environment. So hive beetle is mainly a problem in humid climates like Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, East Texas. West Texas or California doesn't have that problem. What do you do with hive beetle? Hive beetle can be a really big problem. A problem. Uh, a friend of mine in Nacogdoches had a beehive that he, he called me up and said, hey, come see, something's happening. I see honey flowing out of the front of my hive and some little worms are crawling in it. I, I came and said, oh, you have hive beetle problem. So hive beetle will actually bore holes through your comb and will release the honey. The honey will be dripping. It'll be eating on larvae, eating on, on everything it finds there in a the hive so they could feed up and fatten up so they could jump off the front of the hive board and burrow in the, in the soil so they could turn into a pupa and eventually, eventually develop and turn into an adult beetle. And they can destroy your comb, they can destroy your brood, they can ruin your hive. Your bees will probably fly away when they see the infestation like that. Yes? Do the bees ever try Yes. The bees try to fight the beetles. So they, they would chase them away from the frames, from, from the colony. But the beetles are smaller than the bee. And if they find a crack somewhere in a hive that the bee cannot go in, the beetle will hide there. And the bees will just wait. And when <laughs> some bees are more more uh, good housekeepers than others. And uh, there's varieties of bees that are really good housekeepers. They keep the hive clean. They don't leave any debris in the house. So there's no places for the beetle to hide. So those varieties of bees you would like to, to, to keep. Some, uh, one of those varieties is called buckfast bee. Another variety is called Russian bee. They are good housekeepers. If there's crumbs of wax or, or things like that on the floor, they'll carry them out. Um, if there's uh, cracks somewhere too large for the bee to go in, the beetle will hide there, and the guard bees will stay there until the beetle come out. And if it comes out, the two or three of the bees will grab that beetle and carry it out and toss it out of the hive. Um, of course, that beetle will make its way back in a hive eventually, and they will have to fight that. So how do you deal with that? There's chemical products on the market. You can just search hive beetle and how, you know, on, online and, and how, to, um, how to control that. You will have plenty of medication sold in your local beekeeper's store. And for you Texans, the nearest large beekeeping store is in Paris, Texas. It's called, um, the company is called Dadant, D-A-D-A-N-T. And if you go online and go dadant.com, you can buy things online from them. There's another big company call, called Man Lake, M-A-N-N Lake, uh, .com. You go to that website. You can order anything by mail, and they ship it for free. So if you are buying from Dayton, you probably have to pay shipping. And normally, they ship UPS, ground, whatever. 
Now, man lake ships for free many things. Unless though, whatever your order is supremely heavy, like super heavy, then they, they don't, don't want to ship it for free. But most of the stuff you can buy for free, they, they will send you medication to control uh, the beetle, the hive beetle. Most of that medication is just as harsh as, and, and dangerous, both for humans and the bees. So what do you do? There's a few natural ways of handling the, the beetle. And one of those uh, ways is creating traps for the beetle. That beetle likes narrow spots to hide in. So you create something that, there's traps on the market you can also buy, or you can create your own. You can take cardboard that's perforated, and you put some sticky substance there, and let it crawl in and get stuck on, sort of like glue traps for the mice, you know, or cockroaches. So you can create traps like that. There are some traps sold that are that. Some traps are made in a way where a beetle likes either going close to the lid of the hive where the bees don't have enough space between the frames and the lid to crawl through and try hiding there. So you can put a trap there that is like a sort of like a container for the sugar water to feed the bees. And the beetle will go through small slits that are cut in that container go in a container, and the container would have something with, with uh, like uh, something, um, something that is fermented, either fermented honey or sort of like something vinegary or like juice that is fermenting, and the beetle likes that smell. So they go for that smell, and they try to find where it is. They go in, and they cannot go out. That's how you design the trap, or you can buy a trap like that already designed. So these are management techniques. Another good technique, keep your hives clean. If your bees don't clean the bottom of the hive and you open the hive, you want to scrape off every piece of, of um, wax, anything that's on the bottom board of your hive so that the hive is clean so the beetle cannot hide. So that's what you do with the hive beetle. There's another uh, pest that um, is called uh, wax moth. And moth can ruin your hive within a couple of weeks they develop fast, they breed, they, they bore holes in your brood, they, they are nasty little creatures. They develop and they, they thrive in a messy hive. When, when you have mess, messy comb and messy floor of, in your hive, they will hide underneath that stuff and lay eggs and the eggs will develop and uh, become larvae and start feeding on, on your pollen and... and you, even your, your wax. and So they will, within a couple of weeks, if you didn't notice, they can ruin your hive. So what do you do with that? You keep um, good hygiene in a hive. You keep it clean. You maintain your hive's strength. If you only have a thousand of bees and you have 20 pieces of comb, then those few bees that you have, it's probably about this many bees, cannot maintain clean hive. So you remove extra frames and store them somewhere where a hive beetle cannot get to it or where a moth cannot get to it. So you maintain just as many frames in a hive as the bees can cover. If you have extra frames and if your colony is growing, it's okay to put extra frames on the top because you see that the colony is growing and within a week they'll cover all the frames in the second box and they can protect themselves from the moth. But if your colony is weak and you have extra frames, especially old frames, they are your enemy. Old frames 
that are black, you want to discard because they have plenty of room for the moth to hide and develop. So what do you do? There's chemicals on the market to control moth, but you can naturally keep the hive clean and uh, keep your frames um, in order and keep your frames covered with bees. Yes? My uh, great-grandfather was a human. Right. All right. No, it won't hurt um, unless, it won't hurt at all unless they they died because of bacterial infection. There's a chance that there's some bacteria still growing in that wood. And the bacterial infection that we are going to talk about is, um, is uh, the disease that results from that infection is called American fowl brood. So basically, a brood is rotting. And the only way to treat your bees, if your bees got sick with fowl brood, you cannot avoid antibiotics. If you want your bees to survive, you will have to use antibiotics. So you have to apply antibiotics. Normally, it's erythromycin. You apply it three times once a week for, th for three weeks. And it's a dusting powder mixture of powdered sugar with, with erythromycin. And you powder all your colony with it. The bees eat that stuff. It, it's systemic. It's in, in their lymph. And it gets rid of that um, bacteria. And they are healthy again. Yes? No, she doesn't. <laughs> the queen doesn't have a stinger. Her tummy is full of future babies. There's no room for stingers. <laughs> yep. And um, the drone doesn't have a stinger either. His tummy is full of the seed for the future babies too. So he doesn't have a stinger. The only one that has a stinger is the worker bee. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there's two ways of doing that. Maybe there's more, but I know of two ways. One of the ways of storing your frames from moth, because moth will go in your shed and ruin all your comb, all your frames that you store in the shed. So to prevent that, you can stack them tightly so there's no air flowing through them and buy uh, some kind of uh, uh, like a moth medicine called Paramoth, for example, works for the bees. You can put paramoth crystals on top of the hive, and the paramoth um, crystals, they skip the stage of liquid. They go from, from crystals straight into vapor, and it's called sublimation. If you are studying in high school, stuff like that. Sublimation means when substance turns from hard into gas right away. So that's ha what's happening to, to paramoth crystals. And that gas is heavy. So if you put it on top of your hive and put a tight lid on the top, it evaporates or, or sublimates. And the gases fall down, because it's heavy, through the hive all the way to the bottom. And the, the moth doesn't develop. That's one of the chemical ways. There's another way. If you have a storage that's temperature controlled, you can drop the temperature in your storage below 50 degrees. So if the temperature is 8 degrees Celsius or below 50 degrees Fahrenheit, the moth doesn't develop. So in the winter, if you are in cold climate, you just store it in a cold room somewhere. In a cellar, cellar is not a good idea. They'll become uh, moldy. But some dry spot that's cold is good. How about fumigation? The what? Fumigation. Fumigation, yeah, another way. Yeah, you, you can fumigate your frames. Um, in, the win in the spring, though, when you want to reuse your frame, if you fumigated them or used some moth crystals, you want to air your frames out before you put them back in your hive. 
you want all those gases to escape and, and the sunshine and the fresh air to, to basically um, clean out all that, that chemical residue that would be there, and you can return the frames back to the hive. So um, there's one more um, disease that we might talk uh, about, but we won't stay very long on disease. We need to switch um, and talk about pollination and honey production. Uh, this disease is not, not as dangerous, uh, but, uh, but it, can, it can get to you. And um, it, it's very common in, uh, in California. You have, in California, if, if, if you, different climates have different pests. And if you are in California, you have, it's, it's not really a disease, it's a, it's a pest. It's a skunk infestation. <laughs> Skunks really like bees. They like eating bees. And they come out to your hive at night. If you, if you keep your hives low, close to the ground, about this away you know, from the ground, the skunks will come at night after dark, and they want to see some bees coming out of the hive. So they will scratch on the entrance of a hive, like knock, knock, knock. <laughs> some bees would come out on the front board of the hive, and normally those are guard bees that protect the hive. And the skunk with his paw will start rolling those bees like this, rub, rolling them until they are dead so they don't sting, you know. <laughs> and when, when they rolled him to death, they just grab it and eat it. And I, I watched it. I, th I, I came to my hives and I see these muddy paw prints on the front of my hive. I said, what in the world is going on? Who's messing with them? It turned out to be skunks, yes. You could, and I tried all kinds of things. I put glue traps, I put traps for the skunks, but the problem is, to, you know, how do you get rid of the skunk? <laughs> so you could put nails, some people put... Yeah, so the, so the, the it's an excellent idea. Cannot use his paw on the nails, because he'll be, you know, he'll hurt his, his hand, his paw, whatever. Yeah, it's a good idea, I should try that, thank you. Yeah. Nozema, that's another bacterial or pro protobacterial infection. Nozema is is a nasty thing. It it's um, it's causing bees dying in um, in coo cooler weather in the winter. They have upset stomachs and their lymph is or it's it's a systemic disease. It's sort of like a mononucleosis for the bees. That's what it is. They 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 have upset stomachs, they start defecating in their hive inside, and the whole colony will die. So you can um, fight that also with, um, with a, um, a, special, um, a special medicine. You can order it. It's called, I, I don't know the English name, Fumagillin, I guess. Fumagillin is the English name for it. Uh, Fumagillin B, that's the marketing name here. And, and you, you have to, to deal with that, too, all, only by antibiotics. But to prevent all these infec in, infections, uh, bacterial infections or protozoa infections, you should keep strong colonies. If you have a weak colony, get rid of it. How do you get rid of a weak colony? You can just kill that queen and shake the bees out, and they will go to another hive, or combine it with another hive. Strong colony will have strong immunity. Strong colony will not get sick. Why? 
because they have enough worker bees to maintain good hygiene. They have enough worker bees to polish everything with propolis. If the colony doesn't have enough bees, then they cannot sanitize and sterilize the whole colony. So you have bacterial infections, you have fungal infections, and, and keeping strong colonies, if you see a weak colony, you may ask yourself a question. Do I want to risk this colony to get foul brood and then I'll have to treat all my hives with antibiotics? No, I don't want that. Let me join this colony to another colony and have strong colonies. Yes? I'll tell you in a moment, yes. Okay, so how do you join colonies? When you have two colonies, they have different chemical ID, right? They have different scent to them. And if you were to join two different colonies, they'll start fighting because they are, they are enemies. These are Germans and these are Russians, you know? You can't mix Russians and Germans. I'm just kidding because we had World War II and we had, you know, <laughs> two camps, right? Uh, so what do you do? Yeah, we... <laughs> So even, even the USA was involved in World War II, right? And we fought the Germans and the Japanese, and yeah, it was a big World War II. So um, if you join two different colonies together, it will be a World War II. Basically, all the soldier bees or guard bees in this colony, all the guard bees in this colony, if you put them in one box, will start fighting and killing each other. There will be hundreds and thousands of dead bees in front of your hive because they're fighting. How do you avoid that? There's a couple of ways. Um, one of the ways is to confuse their chemical sensors. You can confuse them by spraying them or fumigating them or sending some, some scented smoke through the hive. Or you can put some scented substance in the hive that will release strong odor or strong smell that will confuse their chemical sensors and they will not be able to read each other's IDs. And they will assume that they all are the same. Because we all stink, so we are, mass, we are one family. <laughs> or, and some, some people use very stinky orders to do that. I've seen people use, um, uh, use that, um, you, you can buy it in a store, like vanilla stuff or some other strong, like vanilla flavoring, you know. And they would put it in a bottle, mix it with water, and just spray it through the hive. Or some really stinky stuff that will confuse their sensors. And what ha will happen? They will stay in that smelly environment together, different, different colonies in one box. And a few hours later, a few days later, when that smell dissipates, they will reset their chemical ID. And all of a sudden, you have all of them having the same chemical ID. Yes? Ah, I'm sure it will. <laughs> but I would not like that in my beehive. Yes. So uh, there's another way of doing it. Let's imagine we have a two-story colony. One story, second story, right? You can put a newspaper sheet on the first colony, right? And cover it. Instead of, co instead of covering it with a lid, because you want to join the second different ID colony on the top, right? So you put a newspaper sheet or some thin paper and make a tiny little hole with a pencil in it. And then take your second colony, which has different chemical ID, and put it on top of the first colony. Of course, you have to kill one of the queens. You choose which queen is older or weaker or bad queen. Kill that queen, throw it away. Because if you keep both queens there, they still will fight later. All right? Or if you don't kill the queen, 
those queens will kill either each other or one of them will win. You know, it'll happen eventually. So if you put them on top of each other with just thin paper separating them and with a tiny little hole that you poke with a, with a pencil, the sense of the bottom colony and the sense of the top colony will be blending in very gently, softly around that opening, right? And the bees will be curious about that other colony. So pretty soon the bees will start eating through that paper, bigger and bigger hole, start communicating with each other, and within a day or two, they will be one colony. They, they will have the same chemical uh, ID. So uh, by the way, the chemical ID, the fancy uh, scientific name for it is pheromones. They will have the same pheromones or chemical imprint or signature. Yeah. So, uh, so what do you do with the skunks? It's, it's the last pest we're going to talk about today. Uh, you basically have to somehow, somehow trap them. And I tried that. And it's hard to get rid of the skunks when they're in, the, in your trap uh, and still alive. Yeah, uh, you, I will try the nails. That's a good idea. I didn't think of the nails. I can put some plank with the nails there. You know, like carpet? Oh, you could, like, <laughs> for the carpet laying, then the plank with tiny, sh sharp nails, that would work too. Yes? I was just going to suggest the carpet strip. Yeah, carpet strip. Yeah, yeah. That would probably work too. And then the skunk cannot rub his nice little paw, you know, on the, on the board and, and, and munch on those bees. They can kill hundreds of, of bees in one night, you know. I, I see them do that almost every night. And uh, that's sad. So let's, yes? I shoot them. I kill them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, even... Yeah, yeah. check with your state or your, your county office or your city because, like, I didn't know that in my county you cannot shoot a skunk. Yeah, I don't know why. In my county, in, in, in Placer County, in, in where I live, yeah. So, uh, but it's okay to use uh, some chemical to get rid of them. So it's kind of... Different countries have different laws. All right, let's move along and let's talk about pollination. Let me show you some pictures of, of, of orchards that we need to consider when pollinating. Uh, ah, just for fun, I'll show you a cute video. You see that picture? Oh, you don't. Let me double check. <laughs> Why? Here we go. See these guys right here? This is a guard bee or a soldier that stands on, you know, at the entrance of a hive. This is another guard bee. This is another guard bee. These are strange bees. Sometimes it happens that a bee loses its hive. Or let's say my neighbor had bees and he moved them away. And some bees were left overnight in the field because it happens. The bee goes out and it's dark all of a sudden and the bee doesn't make it home. It'll sleep on a flower or under the leaf somewhere. The next day, that bee returns to my neighbor's yard, and there's no hives. They're moved. It'll come to my hives, because the nearest hives. It'll start flying left and right until it finds some home. It'll come to somebody else's colony, and the guards, these guys right here, will inspect each bee for the proper identification, right, chemically. And they'll say, hey, you don't belong here. Now, this bee has a choice, and these two are strange bees. They have a choice. They either can try to push through like a bully and say, I don't care. I'll live here. That's one choice. If that bee behaves in that rude manner, guess what the guards would do to that bee? 
they'll kill that bee. They will kill, two or three of them will get together, sting that bee and toss it away. Now, there's another choice. This strange bee or lost bee, instead of putting a fight and being arrogant and pushing her way through, she or it, it can assume a begging bee position. She's begging for mercy, basically. She landed here. She puts her, her, her head down on the, on the floor, on the bottom of the hive. She raises her wings high. She raises her abdomen where it has glands that release pheromones. And she gently fans her abdomen. So she would sense a whiff of those pheromones that would communicate to the guards that I'm not coming as an intruder. I'm not coming as a bully. I'm asking for mercy. It's basically, it's called begging bee position. And if the bee behaves that way, the guards say, okay, we accept you. You, you are granted the citizenship in this house or in this, in this city, in this country. And it's accepted and assimilated. And within a day or so, it will have the same chemical um, ID as the rest of the bees in that colony. Now, I'll show you another picture. Uh, this is a picture. Um, this is also a begging bee. And these are the guards that are just here to detect whether she's trying to push through or if, if, if she's going to be, you know, uh, civil. And here's, oh, I guess I'm, I'm going in circles here. There's a video of a, there's a video, oh, here's that video. There's a video, these are guards, and this is a stranger. See, she does not assume a, a begging for mercy position. Look at the guards. This guy is trying to sting her right now. You see, the abdomen curls like this with the stinger. Eventually, they'll pull her off, sting her, and toss her dead. It's because it's stubborn and doesn't want to ask for mercy. <laughs> yes, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it? She got stung, and now she's weaker and weaker. Eventually, she'll be so weak because she got stung, they'll be able to drag her and toss her off. And, and now all these guys are guards. They just, they just will check if there's a stranger. They'll stop the stranger. Now there's another thing that will happen. The guards will check not only for the ID. The guards also will check for... The guards will check whether you're coming back in a hive empty or with some kind of load, with some kind of... Um, you know, with some kind of... stuff you brought from the fields, nectar or pollen or propolis or water. And the guards will be there and they'll check each entering bee. And some bees will bring pollen, some bees will bring nectar, some bees will bring propolis. And the guards will say, okay, come in, come in, come in. You're fine, you belong here, yeah, that's fine. Now, if the same hive has a bee that didn't bring anything, the guards will check her ID, and if it's the same ID and she didn't bring anything, they might, might send her back in the field. <laughs> now, go back. Now, if, if it's evening and it's almost dark, then the guards retreat because it's, it's a curfew time. The guards stop being so rigorous about it. They just accept everybody in. You know, it's night. They accept strangers. Those strangers may turn enemies the next day, and then the guards will resume their activities. Yes? That's true about another person, but not about another bee. You know why? Uh, the bee's body is made out of very thin, crusty stuff like your hair. 
And if the bee stings through that kind of stuff, that stuff gets a crack in it, and your sting goes in and can easily come out. Now, most of us, we are called mammals in, in the kingdom of all the animals. <laughs> of course, we are humans. We are more than animals, right? <laughs> but some people classify us as mammals, that's all. We are just very smart, clever mammal. Now, most mammals and human beings don't have that kind of skin, right? Our skin is elastic. What does elastic mean? It's rubbery, right? It's soft. If I poke a hole, the skin will close right around that little needle, right? So when this, the bee stings me or any other mammal, like any mouse or dog or anything like that, the stinger will go in a skin, and the stinger has sharp uh, anchors on it, too. It goes in, and when the bee is trying to pull it out, guess what? Our rubbery, elastic skin wouldn't let the stinger come out. So the bee is pulling and pulling and pulling, and eventually the stinger, together with, with some of the intestines from the bee, is just pulled out of her uh, abdomen, of her little tummy, and the bee will die. Yeah. Yeah. The stinger, on the other hand, will be alive for another minute or two, and it will continue going deeper and deeper and deeper and delivering more venom. <laughs> you know, that's the nature of the sting. So that's how it works. All right, let's, let's move along and look at, at pollination. Now, early spring, somewhere in March, uh, or somewhere in um, February, in California, we have um, plum blossoms. Now, this is a plum tree. Almond blossoms precede the plums by about three, four weeks. They start blooming early February in California. And plum blossoms are very si similar to almond blossoms. Uh, they are slightly pinkish um, and slightly larger. The, the tree is similar. Almond tree is very similar to peach tree, by the way. The leaves are very similar to peach tree. And when I was a kid, my dad and I planted peaches in our backyard. So as we planted peaches, we noticed the third year after they were growing, we noticed some peaches had nice, juicy peaches. And some peaches had scrawny little shriveled peaches, and we couldn't figure out why. So we looked at those peaches and looked at these peaches. What's going on? Turned out in the fall when we started you know, checking out what's wrong with these fruit, they never developed. We figured out, oh, it's not a peach, it's an almond. <laughs> so so as, as we opened that, that scrawny meat, there was an almond inside. So, oh, great, we have almonds here. Because they are, they are developing from the same stock, and you can, you can graft the other on the other. So almonds and, and uh, peaches are very close. And plums are, too, genetically. So you can graft them on each other. So all the California Central Valley is rich in fruits and almonds. They grow uh, almonds. They grow um, uh, cherries. They grow plums. Uh, they grow um, uh, things like, uh, uh, whoops, they, gr they grow things like, um, um, like uh, in the colder weather close to Sebastopol, things like pears and apples. And all these fruit depend on, um, on bees for good productivity. If your bees are not present in the almond orchard, or somebody else's bees are not present in the almond orchard, there won't be any almonds. If the apple orchard doesn't have cross-pollination, their, their crop yields will fall about 30 
the same thing is true about plums or cherries. You want pollinization there. You want cross-pollinization. Therefore, the local fruit growers and nut growers in California are encouraging beekeepers to come and uh, bring their bees there. How do you think they can encourage or make the beekeepers come there? They pay for it because early spring when plums are blossoming, they don't produce much honey. Almonds blossoming, they don't produce much honey. You have other fruit blossoming, they don't produce much honey. They produce very little nectar and the weather is so cold and sometimes it's, it's so difficult to manage them in cold weather there. So the owners of the orchards know that beekeepers don't want to bring their bees. So they say, hey, that's all right. We have thousands of acres of cherries and plums and, and almonds. We will pay you if you bring us your bees. So they pay somewhere from $150 to $250 per hive for you to bring your colonies there for about uh, three, four weeks. And they, they will pay you only if you make a contract that is legally binding. Because some farmers and some beekeepers um, are not always um, reliable or honest people. You have crooks in every bunch. So if you want to, to have a successful pollinization uh, and like you want some money out of it, make sure you, you have a contract with the farmer that's legally binding. That contract will spell out what time you are bringing your bees out, what day you are supposed to take them away from the orchard because the orchard growers or the fruit growers will have uh, dates that they need to spray their orchards with. And if they spray their orchard and your bees are there, your bees might die. So you have to abide by all the dates that are outlined in the contract. You need to make sure that, um, that if the contract says that such and such, says if such and such day is the day for you to move, you move. Otherwise, the farmer will say, hey, you didn't move, it's, it's your, you know, too bad, you know. It's my day to spray my, my orchard. They'll spray their orchards, you may lose your bees. So if you are trying to, do, um, to be involved in pollination, it's very important to start scouting out and looking for contracts in, around this time. Winter is the time, like fall and winter, is the time for you to look for contracts. You call the farmers and say, hey, do you have, um, do you have enough um, coverage for your orchard? And they said, no, I don't. Well, I have 100 beehives. Would you be interested? Yes. So uh, would you like to make a contract? You make your contracts, you sign them, and then you know, oh, I'm set up this spring, I'm taking my bees to such and such orchard, and these are my dates to be there, and these are my dates to move out, and um, this is how much he's gonna pay me. And that's very important to have. If you just talked with somebody, and they said, yeah, bring it over, yeah, that would be fine. Sometimes you only see that person once, and then you come again, and I, I had it happen to me once. I came, I came to this farm many times, and I don't see the owner. I only see some, some other guy there that, that works for him. And I'd say, hey, uh, where's, where's the owner? Oh, he's, he, he's going to be away for six months. Say, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it doesn't work. So make sure you meet with, with the owner or with the manager. You have legally binding contracts. You take your bees out. You take them away from the orchard because if you don't, on a certain date that you promised, they will probably be sprayed because right after the trees blossom, the farmer will spray. And uh, he's trying to prevent pests 
and uh, worms in their fruit. So that's what happens. Now, when you take your, your bees to the orchards, it's very important to provide some extra food for the bees. What is extra food? This early in the spring when orchards are blooming, they don't produce much nectar or pollen. They produce some. So you want to put some extra food in your colony. You may have some frames with honey that you stored somewhere. Put that extra honey in your hive around the brood area. Or if you don't have enough honey, make some patties out of powdered sugar and possibly pollen that you stored in the freezer or dehydrated. Mix it really well, make patties out of it, put it in your colonies. If you cannot do that, you can buy commercially produced patties like that that have powdered sugar with honey. It's like dough, you know, like dough, dough for cookies, kind of that consistency, maybe a little smoother. And you make patties, put them on top of your hive frames and put a lid on top and the bees will slowly munch on that stuff because when the plums are blossoming, there's very often cold weather. The, weather, the, the temperature could be below 50 and the bees don't fly and they need food. And if they don't have food, they'll die. So you want some, some food on them when you take them for pollination. <coughs> you also want to make sure there's source of water for them nearby. If there's no sor any source, natural source of water, you want to put some water out for them because the bees will look for water. And if there's neighboring um, sewer ponds or sewer treatment facility there and your bees go to the sewer treatment facility for water, that's not a good thing. So you want fresh water for your bees. Uh, you don't want any infections. You don't want spread of any disease both to humans or the bees. So you want water. When you do, yes, you, have, you see a pond like that? What, it, what, if it, what if they drink water there? Is that your question? Yeah, they can get sick and they can spread disease to human beings too that, that handle the honey from that hive. Yeah, you don't want that. So you want a clean... Yes, you put clean water somewhere nearby. You put, and to train your bees to, to visit your water rather than your sewer pond water, you, you put a little bit honey or a little bit sugar in your water and then the bees will be attracted and trained to come to that spot. And then you keep providing clean water in that spot, and that'll be good. fine. You can put a small mister that sends mists or fine spray. Put some rocks or a large wooden board or piece of plywood that will be moist all the time. Uh, or, or maybe lots of sand, like river sand that's clean. You can spray water on it, and the bees will come and land on the sand and take as much water as they need. Why do they need water? In a spring, when there's no nectar and the flowers, if the night was cold, this flower was, these flowers won't produce much nectar. They need some food. And the bees have solid honey or thick honey, undiluted honey in a hive. And they need to feed the babies. So in order to feed the babies, they would have to find some water, dilute some honey or make like thin honey stew <laughs> and feed the babies. So they will have to have water. So that's very important when you early spring, when you take your bees, make sure they have clean water. Yes. You could. There's, there's feeders that are called uh, bottom board feeder. And you can put a quart jar with water. And the bees have access to it. It has little holes or little cloth. And they will take water. If you put it in the hive, I've, I don't know if they'll take it. But, but they take water, yes. I never tried putting water in a hive. But they will. 
You could. Like, for example, um, when I was a kid, my dad always had water that was slightly salted, and, and she, he also had the warming, some kind of warm water source. Because on a cold day, when the bee, when it's 50 degrees, the bee came out of the hive, and it's landing on the water, it's picking up cold water, and eventually the bees get so cold it cannot fly. So it will die there. So I remember my dad um, developing all kinds of mechanisms to keep warm water dripping so the water would be warm all the time. <laughs> so on a cold day, the, the bee will come out and it'll have warm water. But in Texas, we don't have that problem. Um, we only have a problem of lack. We do? <laughs> all right. All right. Yes. The best time to start the beehives is spring. Uh, if you buy the bees in the spring, you will learn many things in, the se in that season. You will have uh, healthier bees because they survived the winter. If they survived the winter, it's a good sign they were healthy enough to survive the winter because most of the bees that die in the winter were sick. So most of the sick bees will be gone, <laughs> so you'll be good. Yeah, springtime is a good time. Yes. When it's too hot, they bring fresh water in a hive. And they put fresh water on the sides of the hive. They, they start evaporating the water, and it cools off the hive. So that's what's happening. Yes? They create air conditioning. Yep, they air condition the hive. All right. Well, let's talk. Um, the last thing I want to tell you about the, the pollination. Make sure that um, you have good friends or reputable company you're dealing with, because sometimes you have crooks that you bring your colonies out to the orchard, you place them, and uh, you come next time in a week to check on your bees, and you can't find your bees. And you look around and say, I think I had them here. I don't know where they went. And you walk back and forth. You can't find them. Sometimes people steal, and sometimes your bees can be gone. So make sure you are dealing. Uh, you are in a group of good, honest men. Uh, I've seen people steal bees and he, he, that you are dealing with good, reputable farmers that, that are honest people. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's the last thing that I want to mention. So contracts, provide food, provide clean water, and make sure you are in a group of honest folk when you do that. There's a very big problem in, in bee thievery or, or theft in North Dakota because people from all over the U.S. bring their colonies to North Dakota for the harvest of sweet clover honey. And they would place 60 or 100 colonies in this yard, then three miles somewhere down the road, they put another you know, 100 colonies. Then they would have maybe 20, 30 bee yards around. And there's, no, uh, there's nobody there. You know, it's just wild, wild prairie, you know, just miles and miles of fields. And some dishonest people dishonest beekeepers, mo I'm, I'm telling you, most beekeepers are very honest people, very kind people too. If you're doing beekeeping, that means that you're interested in nature. You, unless you are interested purely in the profits, then there's a bend for dishonesty, you know? <laughs> when the bottom line is your main line, then there's temptation to be dishonest. And um, there are some <laughs> dishonest people, and they can steal all your beehives. <laughs> so a good idea is to buy your frames and your equipment that's branded. You can have your name on the, on the boxes, on your colonies. You can name, have your name on each frame, comb, in your colony. And if they are stolen, you can just call around 
and say, hey, anybody seen any hives with such and such brand? Or, be, or frames with such and such brand, brand uh, on them. So you could do that. You can buy your own brander with your name or your telephone number, and you can just use a little propane cylinder and just come from hive to hive and just burn your, your label on it and then burn your label on each frame and you're good. So that's, that's how people fight this, this dishonest, um, dishonest problem. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.